I want to thank you again, you know, uh, for joining us as uh, we are in this third week on our identity series called Death to Selfie. Now, today, I believe, might be the most impactful one for many of you for the entire series. Remember, we've talked about that this is an identity series, and as we are trying to find identity, it's not just something that you just come out of the womb with. There's a journey and a process that God takes us on to discover it, and there's two places or two areas that we can discover our identity. One is the world's, and the other is from God. Now, let me just be honest with you. The world's way to discover your identity, once again, is to discover who you are. You know, you've heard phrases like, don't let anyone tell you who you are. You get to decide who you are. That's one of the world's ways to do it. Or the world way says, the way you feel and think about yourself is how you discover who you are. Basically, what you're saying is how I feel, how I think I should be, live, or act, that's who I should be. Or the characteristics that define you. In other words, how you look or think or the passions or interests or hobbies, relational status, those are all identity markers for you to discover who you are. But God has a different way. And what he's asking us to do is to look at our identity through his eyes, seeing ourselves through God's eyes. Because it could be completely different than what the world says, than based on how you feel, than uh, based on you discovering you, that there might be something greater and even more significant. Because here's the truth that we face. A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. And when we believe a lie, it affects our identity. And you and I have believed a lot of lies. So far, we have looked at this idea that our identity is found in what I do. And so when you do that, then you realize, you know, very quickly that's a lie and it begins to affect your identity. Uh, some of people have said it's based on our sexuality, which is what we talked about last week. You can go on with that. And we've said, like, no, 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 that is not, you know, our core identity. And so today we're going to look at another lie that I believe that I fall into and you do as well. Here's the lie. I'm not good enough. Okay? I'm not good enough. Now, those of you who know the Bible, you would actually say that this statement is true. Because you've read in your Bibles, like I have as well, that no one is good but God alone. Now, that's not what we're saying when I say I'm not good enough. What I'm saying is, I believe the lie that says that I am not capable enough, I'm not worthy enough, and no matter how hard I try, I don't measure up. That lie, when it's believed as true, affects our identity and we carry it with us through the rest of our lives. Let me just be honest with you. This lie has affected my parenting. This lie has affected me as a spouse. This lie has affected me as a pastor. See, I can quickly go into this idea that I'm not a good enough dad. No matter how hard I try, I find myself failing over and over or I'm not a good enough husband. You know, my best doesn't feel like it's enough. Or I'm not a good enough pastor. Like when I screw up and make mistakes, like, man, I'm just not good enough. I don't measure up. And there's a lie that rolls around in the recesses of my mind that I have to fight with, and I don't believe that I'm alone in this. See, you remember when God came to Moses 
And God comes to Moses, and, and here's what you need to know about Moses. Uh, Moses was raised in, in royalties, an Egyptian household. You know, he, he becomes the prince of Egypt, and he goes out and sees an injustice taking place against his people, the Jews, and he kills an Egyptian, and then he runs for his life. For 40 years, he becomes a sheep herder. Then all of a sudden, God meets him in the desert through this burning bush, and he calls him out and asks him to be his representative so that he can go back to Egypt and tell the Pharaoh to let his people go. In fact, we pick it up in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. God, I am not a good enough speaker. I don't have the ability. I'm not good enough. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? What a great response. Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what you say. Okay, God, you've spoken, you've chosen, you've equipped me, but Moses again pleads, Lord, please just send somebody else. Where does that come from? comes from the lie. He doesn't believe, even with God himself coming as a burning bush, that he's good enough to do what God has asked him to do. See, we believe for two primary reasons that we're not good enough. And I want you to evaluate in your own heart, in your own mind. See, we believe what other people say or think about us. And that there becomes our identity. We have bought into these lies. We've had people, parents even, uh, important people in our lives who've said things to us. And when you hear things over and over and over, you don't think you measure up and you don't think you're good enough and that plays with you for the rest of your life. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about my dad's story. My dad grew up in a perfectionist home. Absolutely perfectionist. His mom, which should be my grandmother, um, I know that she, she loved him because I got to see some of that in action, but I would hear stories. My dad almost became, uh, I don't even think Eric, you know, and Kenny does, my dad almost became a professional uh, uh, trumpet player. You know, sorry, I don't have the same gifts. Yeah, he was actually a professional, almost, almost became a professional trumpet player instead of, a, instead of a pastor. Well, he recalls one of his great recitals in front of so many people where he got a standing ovation because of the work and the effort that he put in. And afterwards, his mom's first thought was, you missed a note. Stuck with him. See, see she was the one when the report card came home, she noticed every A minus. My dad became a doctor not in medicine, but he had a doctorate in sociology. It drove him. And some of you might say, well, yeah, that's good, isn't it? It drove him. Not in a healthy way. Because he was constantly trying to measure up to him not being good enough before his mom. Now, it's interesting because my grandmother did love my dad. And he would actually, she actually would tell other people, he is such a great preacher, a son or a father. But she rarely ever told him that, at least face to face. Now, see how that plays out for him. See, that's what I grew up under. And even though my dad tried his absolute best that he could, and I know my dad loved me as well, he had a really hard time with saying that anything was great. 
didn't matter what meal he ate. He's like, that was a good little snack. That was just kind of a phrase that he would say. And every time I would do something like that, how'd I do? He goes, you did good. You did pretty good. You did all right. You did good. I wanted so badly to hear the words, you did great, but that was only reserved for the top 1% of musicians or athletes or businessmen. He's like, no, that is great. My dad had a hard time based on how he grew up, had a hard time saying the words, I love you. I knew he loved me, but he had a hard time. He was not very physical in his expression either. It just felt awkward when he would do some of those things. Now, again, my dad loved me in so many ways. I don't want to have you guys think or any of those things, but I wondered at time if I was good enough. And I know that I'm not alone. You've been told you're not good enough. You've heard things like you're stupid, you're pathetic, you're not going to amount to anything. Why can't you be more like Why can't you do better? What's wrong with you? Some of you were told that you'd be a little prettier if you could just lose a few more pounds. And even though you're incredibly skinny, that has stayed with you the rest of your life, trying to measure up to someone who may not even be around or even alive. See, some of you are still living your life trying to get approval. You're trying to get validation that you matter from someone you will never get it from. And it's driving the core of your identity. So so let's be real, right? Value real life. Raise your hands if you have wrongly based your worth at some point in your life on what others have said or thought about you. Raise your hands. Put it in the chat if you're watching online. See, the reason that we buy into this lie again is first and foremost because we believe what other people say or think about us. And that carries with us. Or here's the second reason we believe that lie that I'm not good enough. Your past experiences, especially failures, you believe that defines you. And you've lived and been haunted by that. I mean, this is what our culture is so hot on right now, which is, makes me so hot on our culture. It's one of the things that just drives me crazy. You screw up, you're labeled, you're called names, then you're judged, then you're canceled. And we'll go back years if we can find stuff that you might have said or did and then throw you to side. See what happened in your past based on what someone else may have done to you or maybe something that you did yourself. Uh, Maybe you went to school and you were not a great student and because of those past failures, you just kind of believed that you were just gonna live an average life. Uh, Maybe uh, you're a person who got a divorce and you carry that scarlet letter all around thinking that that Time in your life is what's going to define you for the rest of your life. Maybe you have failed in your business, failed in a sport, failed in a friendship, and that sticks with you over and over and over, and you keep telling yourself, I'm not good enough. See, if our past failures define us, then no one's ever good enough. See, uh, when I was uh, uh, in uh, elementary school, I didn't know it at the time, but I actually had a learning disability. Uh, I have slight dyslexia, just, just slight enough where not able to read faster than I could actually talk. It just, and sometimes the words got mixed up every once in a while. But I didn't know that back then. And, and uh, my parents continued to push me academically, as they should. And I kept looking at both of my brothers. Now, I'm the middle child, and there's issues there. I understand. My older brother, he just got A's and it just seemed to come easy. He didn't spend any time doing homework. My younger brother, it seemed like he was getting A's all the time. And I'm in the middle. Why am I spending an extra hour and another hour on homework? How come they get off so much? And unintentionally, my brothers were feeding into my own insecurity. 
And they would tell me over and over and over, especially my older one, that you're an idiot. You're dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. When you hear that so often, you start believing those lies. And it hit deep. In fact, it's one of my triggers. You know, when I make a mistake or I mess up, and if I start feeling dumb, it takes me back. And there's that voice that's in the back of my head. You're, you're dumb. You're not good enough. Here's what's encouraging. In the New Testament book of Hebrews is a collection of great heroes of the faith, men and women who God used and God blessed. But it's interesting because it's an entire list of people who were jacked up, who made mistake after mistake after mistake. But the funny part is in chapter 11, it only mentions their victories and not their mistakes. And you're like, wait a minute, you're not telling the truth. Could it be because God who sees who we are really and who we will become is more important than some of the mistakes or the failures of our past? Let me just quickly just run through a couple of these things. And you can read it for yourself in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham, father of the faith and the Jewish people, lied about him having a wife twice on his journey to the promised land. Sarah, Abraham's wife, laughed at the promise of God, then denied that she laughed to God. Like, Why would you even argue about that? Uh, Jacob lied to his dad and stole the birthright from his brother. Noah was one of the first people who ever was drunk and naked. That's what happened. Go read it. Yeah, I bet you didn't know that one's in some of your Bibles. Samson was immoral and he slept with Bathsheba. Gideon was fearful. Rahab was a prostitute. David, oh, David, man, after God's own heart. There's a guy who had an affair and then had someone murdered to cover it up. Elijah was deeply depressed, didn't want to live at one point, and Jonah ran away from God. Heroes of the faith. Not only did none of them get canceled, these are some of the greatest men and women that you and I would look at for how God loved and used them to impact people for all eternity. See, here's the key to combat this I'm not good enough issue that most of us face. You have to see yourself as God sees you. How does God see you? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that set itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When those thoughts and those reminders and those failures continue to come up over and over and over, you got to take hold and to make them captive to Jesus Christ. And you start viewing things through that lens, which changes everything. His knowledge of us and every thought that comes to our mind that's contrary, we make it to Jesus. Uh, let me remind you of some core issues here, some core things here that God wants to remind you of, of this day. God says you are called by Christ. That's who you are. You are called by Christ. You are good enough. First Peter 5, 10 says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. Even as jacked up as you and I are, he still called you. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation. Amen? 1 Peter 2, 9, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Galatians 2.20, my old self, we've done this four weeks in a row now, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's my identity. 
He has called you. He's called you to be part of his family. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next week. Even if your family rejected you, even if your people in your household don't think you're enough, God says, you are welcome, warts and all, into mine. That's good news. Not only has he called you, but you are capable through Christ. Not because of ourselves, but you're capable through Christ. Our confidence comes through Christ. You matter. You measure up. You have value. Ephesians 2.10 reminds you, for you and I are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Uh, when I was in college, I had an opportunity to work in East L.A. Here is a white suburban kid from Seattle, Washington, who gets called to work in East Los Angeles with Hispanic youth, most of which were first generation, meaning they spoke English, but their parents did not. And so I'm feeling like, God, you're calling me to come out here. You're calling me to come to a place I've never been before. And who am I to do this? I know what I'll do. I'm going to go to our professors. I'm going to go to our missions professor, and I'm going to get some encouragement and some strength. You know what he said to me? Don't do it. You're going to fail. I was like, that's the most discouraging thing I've ever heard. And he had great reason. He's like, well, Dan, you're, you're white. Um, you've never been in the inner city. Um, uh, you've never worked cross-culturally. And you've not been in ministry more than a day. You're 18 years old. You don't know what the crap you're doing. He wasn't wrong about any of that. But I was like, but God is still calling. So what do I do? Just reminds me of Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And that's what I quoted right back at him. And here's what I can tell you. It was some of the best ministry years of my life. I didn't listen to what other people had to say. I listened to what God, because I am capable through him. See, you know, Romans 8.37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours. How? Through Christ who loved us. We are confident of all this in 2 Corinthians because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God, and it gives us great strength. We are capable through Christ. How many of you have seen the movie uh, Jerry Maguire? Okay, I know, I need to get some more modern movie references. I get it. Okay, those of you who are watching online, put it in the chat. You've seen Jerry Maguire. Okay, the, the most famous part of that movie, you know, is at the end where all the ladies swoon and all the guys want to throw up. Because he walks in and he says the line, you complete me. And all the ladies say, and all the guys say, there you go. So, you complete me, right? You complete me. And it's, it is a moving moment. It's this understanding that we need one another. But what a bunch of crock. It's just not true. We complement each other. We do become one in marriage. I get all that. But we are identity as we are complete in Christ. That's when we find our completion is actually not in another person. It's first and foremost in Christ. 2 Peter 1.3 says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body so that you are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are good enough. 
for Christ to complete you. See, when you see the word complete in the New Testament, most of the time it comes from a Greek word that really refers to a ship. And what it means is a ship that is fully manned. It's fully complete. In other words, the ship has everything it needs. It is complete for its desired next step and location or destination. And so I want you to start viewing life like that, that you are the ship. Jesus is the captain. And he makes everything complete as long as he remains the captain, the Lord and the leader of your and my life. See, God says you are called by Christ, you are capable through Christ, and you are complete in Christ. You are good enough. And you got to hold on and make a choice to, as your next step to choose today to believe what God says about you. Not what the other voices or what you or anybody else says. You've got to take hold those thoughts and say, no, I'm going to make them captive, complete in Christ. That's what it looks like. But once again, the choice is yours. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time and this opportunity to be reminded that we are good enough, not because of who we are, but because of who you are in us. Father, you have called us. You are make us capable because of you and complete in you. So if you're here today and you're watching online or on site, I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer. God, my identity is in you. I am good enough because you are good. I am capable because you are capable and I am complete because of what you've done. May that be a reminder for us as we sing this song. May that resonate in our hearts and our minds. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. As we wrap up our time together, if you accepted Christ,